0: We're in this series called uh, The Story, and um, it's, it's, it's kind of disturbing. And it's, well, let me say this. We're, again, this is the meta narrative, it's a big picture. It's like a Bible survey, in a sense, uh, because what we're doing is we're taking a look at the highlights. It's like sitting down with a newspaper uh, one day and just kind of scanning the highlights, and you kind of get a gist of what's going on in the world. Uh, we're not going real super deep, but we're just kind of hitting the spot, the, the highlights. How many of you are reading the book The Story? How many of you have a copy and reading? Hopefully there was more hands, but um, it's, a, it's a great tool. It doesn't replace the Bible, but it helps put those stories in chronological form. I know when I read it it, it, it it just really adds that touch. Like I've grown up in church, I've got all these stories and there's sometimes I'm like, where does that story fit in the timeline, you know, and it just really helps do that. So uh, as we go through this, uh, it's kind of interesting uh, because we're we're speeding up the timeline a little bit. Just a few weeks ago we talked about Joshua going in the promised land and conquering it and doing all kinds of God just showing up doing all kinds of things. The nation of Israel is a, is a, is a nation where other nations look at it and they fear it. Other nations look at Israel and they say, Wow, th- their God is Almighty. And, and, and rightfully so. That's exactly what it was designed to do. And so but Just in a relatively short time, even if we would go in, in real time, just in, in in a short period of time, a matter of three or so generations, the nation is falling apart. We read about that last week. The nation is falling apart. Everyone in Judges, there's a theme that says, everyone did, or motif, everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did as they saw fit. So what you think is right, you do it. What you think is right, you do it. What you think is right, you do it. We don't have any uniformity here. We don't have any structure. We don't have any of that. I'm basing it upon what I think is right. You do it based upon what you think is right. Kind of like a little bit like what we do today, right? It's all relative, right? There's no timeless principles. So as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, we'll just live however we want to live. Well, as they experienced it as a nation, they become socially bankrupt, they become uh, emotionally bankrupt, they become spiritually bankrupt, they become politically bankrupt. The nation was literally falling apart. That's where we find the context today uh, of uh, of where we're at. So take that for a second, set that aside. Let me introduce to you another uh, figure in the story. Today we're going to talk about Hannah, and if you paid attention to that video, uh, it talked about Hannah a little bit. Hannah uh, was a woman that was not able to bear children. And it, back in those days, the man uh, at that time was, I'm not so sure, uh, it was part of God's plan, but they had multiple wives. And in this particular situation, Hannah was part of a, of a, of a married, of a relationship, uh, and the other, she was unable to bear children to her husband, but one of the other wives, would ridicule her, um, just kind of rip her apart, make her feel horrible. You can't have a child. Now, back in that culture, uh, today it's a little bit like that, but not as much, because back in that culture, if you were unable to bear children, it was like, it was like you had a curse against you from God. Especially if you couldn't bear a son. But back in that culture, if you couldn't bear children, there was it was like there was a, st- a huge stigma. And so uh, her sister, wife, or whatever, would just relentlessly uh, make fun of her. And so it brought her great pain. Obviously, she wanted a child anyhow. But, this, uh, uh, but on top of that, this ridicule just brought her great pain. So she prays to God. She says, God, would you please bless me with a child? God, would you please allow me to have a child? And if you do, I will give the child back to you. And so God answers her prayer, and this isn't when when she said that she uh, promised to give the child back to God. It wasn't a figurative figurative uh, a a speech uh, that was figuratively. It was literally. And so God answers her prayer. God gives her a child. She names the child Samuel, and she follows through with her promise. She takes the child, and we're not talking about years later, uh, we're talking a very early age. She takes Samuel and, and takes him to, to the priest at that time by the name of Eli and gives him to Eli. And now which Samuel's being raised up to be a priest slash prophet as we will, as we will read and study later. But, uh, she literally gives the child back to, uh, back to God who, who is now being raised by Eli the priest and being trained. He lived with a lot of integrity, Samuel did. He grew up to be a man of, of immense integrity, and his heart was very sensitive towards God. Okay, now, let's go back and let's put that story with the context that we're in, okay? Samuel grows up, he gets to be a little bit older, and, and so uh, all this is taking place. Now, in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, again, it says this, "...in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit." So here we have a nation that's literally crumbled... Uh, during this time, we have a nation by the, uh, by the name of the Philistines on this side. We have another nation over here, a uh, uh, hostile nation, uh, the Ammonites, and they're kind of pressing in and squeezing in on Israel. At one point, the Philistines come in and take the Ark of the Covenant from Israel, who Israel truly believed that that was the power that they had. That was God, which it was, and, and that was the power in which they had. Well, they got themselves in such a destruction. Uh, so that uh, they, fought, uh, they fell apart so much that the Ark of the Covenant became captive to the philistines uh it's another story but it's a really really great story if you would spend some time reading that so here we have all this political all this social unrest taking place in the nation of israel and they begin to do as they saw fit they had no king they didn't have anybody to to kind of bring them together and lead them so consequently what happens is the elders and and a large assembly get together and they have a good old-fashioned picket they come before Eli or they come before Samuel, I should say, and they basically say this: "We want a king. We need a king." Now, as we read that, it seems to make sense. As you read that, it's like you know what they do need a king. They need someone that's going to lead them to say this is the way to go. This you know provide the direction uh, of where to go. However, you know as they come together and form this, this this demonstration and begin to voice their desire, there's one problem, and that problem is this. This nation by the name of Israel is not a democratic nation. It's a theocratic nation. It's not led by democracy, it's led by theocracy. And what I mean, with, and I'm not going to get into some talk or sermon about the differences between government and governments and things like that and point out this, that, and the other. That's not my point today. What I want to share with you today is Israel was not a democratic culture. It was a theocratic culture. And what that means is this, God was their king. But we don't have a king. God says, I'm your king. I'm the one that's going to lead you. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, it talks about what I just shared with you. It says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old and your sons do not even follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. So they come they they have this they have this kind of demonstration they they uh you know kind of have this picketing and all this other stuff and they say we need a king we need a king we need a king and so they come to Samuel they present their request and he said this is a, this is what our nation needs Samuel hears this and he's very disturbed Samuel is very disturbed at their request because he was very sensitive towards God He was very sensitive in the ways of God and what God wanted. He prays to God. He takes this to God and he begins to pray to God and just really pouring out his heart. And God says this to Samuel. God says, hey Samuel, this isn't about you. Samuel, I get that you're carrying this burden, but it's not about you. Samuel, this is all about me. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're not rejecting you as a person. They are... They are blatantly rejecting me as their king. And so Samuel then goes back to the people and he says, This isn't right. This is not the way this is supposed to be. And he begins to lay this out and he says, if you choose to have a king, if you keep crying around about having a king and God gives you a king, this is what's going to happen. So clear back before this nation ever had any kings, Samuel paints this picture and he says this, if you guys want a king, he gathers them together, if you guys want a king... This is what's going to happen if you have a king. And he lays out this picture. And if we would fast forward to into the days of David and then later on to his son Solomon and, and a little bit later on, we see exactly what Samuel said so many years ago when he said, this is what's going to happen. He paints this picture. Go back and read it. It's a great story. It's a disturbing story because it, what Samuel said exactly unfolds years later as the whole this, the whole system kind of crumbles. But they simply don't care. They say we want a king and they they if those of you that have kids can get behind this because this is exactly what the nation said everyone else has one why can't we you know and i'm sure there was a little bit of well everyone else has one why can't we have one you know but everyone else has a king why is it that we don't have a king And so they present this request, why can't we have one? And then God does something, and I really don't want to get into this theology today, but when you read this, God does something that's very interesting, because they weren't supposed to have a king, but God says, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And so he allows them to have a king, in in order, I think, to teach them a lesson on the back side. Does that sound familiar? How many of us sitting in here this morning have presented our requests to God, and deep down we know... We know that it's probably not the will of God, but something that we want. God, would you just make me successful in this area, this one area? I remember when I was in college, one of my prayers was, God, I didn't study for this exam, but is there any possible way you could impart into my head this knowledge that will help me pass this test? God never answered that for me. I learned the hard way. But you've been there. God, would you just make me successful in this one area, just for a little while? God, would you please just help me in this particular situation? Would you just give me this one chance, God? Just give me this one chance. God, would you just give me a little bit more money? I know that money doesn't buy happiness, but I think it might make me just a little bit more happy. Could you just let me try it just for a little while? And sometimes what God does, he says, give it a shot. Let's see what happens. And I don't know if you're sitting in here this morning and you've experienced that, and I hate to say this, but I have at different times where God has said, go ahead. I'll let you have this. I'll grant that request. And next thing I know, I'm like, why, oh why, did I ever choose to go down this path? Because now I'm being taught a lesson. And I I don't know about you, I don't like lessons. I would rather learn up front and avoid the lesson. But somehow I find myself, and I know that you guys, there's no way you're sitting here this morning saying I've never experienced that before because you're human, and I know you have. So I mean, we can all—it sounds familiar, doesn't? This is what the nation said, though. The nation said, "You know what? We want a king. We want a king. We hear you, Samuel. We blah blah blah. We want a king." And so it's at this point. Well, let me just say this: if you if you if you if you leaned into that video, you saw. the king that God gave them, the king that they had, that, that God said, Here you go, here's your king. He made a huge blunder right out of the gate. If you, again, if you paid attention to that video, they were going to go up against the Philistines, and God said, Listen, I want you to have him be patient, sit still, offer a sacrifice uh, to me here at Mount Gilgal, and then we'll go in and we'll conquer the Philistines. The king, Saul, becomes very impatient because he's waiting on Samuel the priest, which that was his job, Uh, priest-prophet, that was his job to offer up the sacrifice. And so the king said, you know what? He's taking too long. Let me take care of it. I'll do this. So he offers up this sacrifice to God, which God is absolutely displeased because it's not his job and he wasn't patient. And so on and on and on, we see this King Saul making poor decisions time and time and time and time again. Read the story. It's, it's, it's really good. It's, and at one point, God looks at Saul and becomes so grieved that he says, I'm taking my spirit from you. Very sad story. But that was the king, and that's exactly what God was uh, warning them of through Samuel. Now, as we, as we talk about this, let me share with you three bad choices. It, it's, at this point, at this juncture, the nation of Israel makes three bad choices. And it's my prayer today that as we look at Israel, we're fortunate enough to have the Word of God where we can look at it and we can say, you know what, that really wasn't a good choice back here. Maybe I should, maybe I should steer my life in a different direction and listen to God. and, and, and go. It's my prayer that we look at these things and, say, and resonate and say, I'm going to let my life be different. And so three bad choices. The first one is this, power over purpose. They chose power over purpose. Now, follow along with me. Clear back in the beginning, when God came to Abram and he says, Abram, his name wasn't named Abraham yet, he said, Abram, I'm going to make a great nation from you. Abram, your descendants are going to be so great, they're going to be like the sands on the seashore. You're not even going to be able to count them. Abraham, your or Abram, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. There's just going to be so many of them such magnitude that there's no way you can begin to count them. God says, I'm going to make this nation great. Here's the issue, though. When we look at that covenant that he made, that promise, that covenant that he made with Abraham, clear at the beginning when God is forming this people, this group of people, this nation, clear from the beginning, we see that God was forming them for a purpose, a plan. And that plan of purpose was, is where things got derailed, because God had this specific plan of purpose that, as they would function in society, as they would function in this world, other nations would look at them, and when other nations would look at them, they would see God. They would be like a microcosm of the kingdom of heaven because they were following God and other nations. And that's exactly what happened when Joshua went into the land of Canaan, when he went into the promised land and began to take over. If you remember that whole story, if you read that story, when they first started to go into Jericho with those huge walls that you couldn't penetrate, they sent in two spies. These two spies went in to check out this city. As they went in, they stayed with a person by the name of Rahab who was a prostitute They who ends up being in the lineage of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the bloodline of Jesus. But as they, as they go into this city, and they, and they stay with Rahab, and she protects them from the other people in the, in, the, uh, in the city that was coming after them, she told them, she said, we've seen you guys, we've heard about you guys, we've heard about this nation of Israel, and we're scared to death, we're petrified. And she basically said, if I give you shelter, would you please remember me when, you, when your God comes in and takes over our city? they were renowned because it wasn't about them it was about what when it was about them it was about their god you have a god that is almighty you have a god that is renowned you have a god that everyone else fears that was the plan that was the purpose that was the whole identity of israel that they their king would be god almighty a theocracy And that everything they did would point back to God and give God glory. In verse 5, it says, now appoint a king. They said, you know what? This isn't what we want. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Guys, that request was motivated and rooted in nothing else but fear. But fear. All the other nations have one. All the other nations have this central figure that resembles what? Power. Power. All the other nations have a king. And when we look at them, they have this king and, and it resembles power. We need one too. We're being pushed around. We got the Ammonites over here. We got the Philistines over here. They got the Ark of the Covenant. Everything's pressing in. Everything is coming apart at the seams. We need structure. We need leadership. We need a king. The is- issue is God was their king. God wanted the glory. God wanted to show all that he was. Or who that he was in doing all these miraculous things. The issue is they had forgotten all about these things. Which is easy to do. It's so easy for us to forget just like they did. They forgot about all the things that God had done. We're not talking about thousands and thousands of years that had surpassed all these miracles. All these things that God had done. We're talking about a couple generations. And somehow... Which we talked about, you had one generation that was pointed straight towards God. You had the second one that began to compromise and things started getting lost in the shuffle. Then you had the third generation that ends up exactly here because they didn't know God. They had forgotten all about God. We're talking about an oral culture here too where stories were passed down generation to generation, to generation, somehow that it stopped. Moses, before Moses died, he, and he knew they were going to go into the promised land, that Joshua was going to be the next leader. He tells the people this. Essentially, he says, remember, remember, remember. Don't forget anything. Remember what God has done. Remember all of the things that God has done because when you go into that land that's going to be flowing with milk and honey, you are going to experience blessing after blessing after blessing. And typically what happens when we get into bountiful times, we forget about what we used to do when we had to lean on God really hard back here because we didn't have things. And Moses is saying, don't forget. Remember what God has done. Don't forget. And then he goes on and says this. Teach, 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 teach. Teach the next generation. Teach your children. Don't forget. Somehow we forgot. Somehow we forgot. And what they fall into is this concept of flesh over the Spirit, which is also called pride. In First Samuel 8, 19-20... The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, we want a king over us. Then we will be like other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. I'm confused now. Wasn't that God's role? Wasn't that what God did? Wasn't that what God had done for him time and time and time and time and time again? But they had forgotten and so they get wrapped up in this pride thing. They get wrapped up in this thing that says, man, we can't be, a, we, can't be a, we need a king. Then we will be like other nations a king to lead us, a king to lead us and go out before us. You see how God is being shoved out? It's that flesh dominating over spirit. I can relate with that. You can relate with that. Where God comes into our lives and he says, I want to take you deeper, I want to take you a step deeper. But you're going to have to sacrifice some things. I want to take you a step deeper, but I'm not going to give you all the answers. I'm just asking you to trust me. And if you trust me, I'm asking you to obey. And God says, I want you to take this first step. And we say, where are we going? Just trust me. Take this first step. Well, can you tell me what it's going to look like? Can you tell me how it's going to affect me? Can you tell me how it's going to affect my family? Can you tell me how it's going to affect my payroll? Can you tell me how it's going to affect my kids? Can you tell me? Can you tell me? Can you tell me? Can you tell me? Why don't you just take a step and trust me? But then the flesh starts kicking in. I don't know if I can do that, God. You're asking me to take a step in the unknown? I I don't know if I can do that. We make enough decisions like that where we say, I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't see it. I, I need to see the bigger picture. I don't know if I can trust that first step. I need to have more details. I need to have more details. I need to have more details. When we start making decisions like that over and over and over again, the next thing we do, we forget about where, what God has done in the past. And we begin to rely upon our flesh. And our flesh says, Whoa, you can't do that. You need more answers. What is your friends going to say? What is your family going to say? What's this going to do to your family? And so for some of us, we get caught up in that flesh over spirit. And our flesh begins to dominate that. It's extremely hard to trust what we can't see. But listen to what Listen to what God has to say about this. Listen to what the Word, uh, the word has to say about this. In Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, and in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says this Some trust in chariots. I love this. We've, there's, I've been through uh, experiencing God. This is one of our memory verses. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Let's rephrase that. Some trust in, your, in our own abilities. Some trust in our own reasoning, our cognitive abilities, our giftedness to understand things, all these other... Some trust in human flesh, but we're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Even when it looks impossible, even when it doesn't make sense, if this is where God's taking us and He's asking us to go deeper, this is where we're going. Listen to what He says in Zechariah. So He said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by my might, nor by power, but by my Spirit says the Lord Almighty. Here's the point. Let me, this is the point I want you to take home with this. And I, I really want you to get your arms around this. Israel as a nation was called to stand out. They weren't called to blend in. They were called to stand out. You, as a Christ follower... Those of you that have placed your faith and trust in Christ and you say, I'm going to heaven, I've I've received salvation from God, I am following him, I am his child. Let me tell you something, I hope this isn't a news, this isn't a revelation to you this morning. But let me just say this, you have been called out. You've been adopted, you've been given a new name, you are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You are not called to blend in. We make up the church. And when I say the church, I'm not just talking about element. I'm talking about the big C. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the bride of Christ. We are called to stand out. This business of blending in is not, it's a false reality. It's called heresy. This business of saying, I can't do this because I don't have all the answers. Guys, you're flirting with something you don't want to flirt with. God has called us to stand out. He had called the nation of Israel to exemplify and demonstrate the God of the the universe. To be a microcosm of His kingdom. That's what we've been called to do. We have been called to do the impossible because He is going to do it through us. You're not going to do it. You don't have the abilities to do it. No one's asked you to do it. God has said, I want to do it through you. And as we get behind that and we become individuals that are humble and surrendered and contrite to the Spirit of God, that's what influences a world that has no hope. Israel lost it. And consequently, this is what we see the nation was coming apart at the seams. At one point, they were viewed by other nations as this incredible nation that, that was being led by a God that was more powerful than their gods. They were feared by nations. And like I said, just like us today, that's what we've been called to. So the first one is this. Are we going to choose power over purpose? Or are we going to choose purpose in which we were called to, in which we were? that's exactly what we were created for, purpose over power? The second one is this, circumcision over salvation. They were doomed from the very start. Samuel reminds them of all the things that God has done for them in the past. He goes to Saul, this, this guy that's going to be their king, and he exhorts Saul and he says, Saul, you've got to remember... You have got to remember who God is. You've got to remember where God has brought us. You've got to remember what God has done in the life of this nation. Because we have forgotten. And And again guys, we're not talking about thousands of years here. We're talking about a relatively short period of time. And somehow it got forgotten and not passed down. And Samuel, I can't imagine, I mean maybe Samuel sat there and said, hey guys we've got to remember about the plagues, you've got to remember where we came from, you've got to remember about Egypt, you've got to remember about this covenant and about Egypt and about God delivering us out of Egypt you've got to remember how he separated the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground you've got to remember when God led our people, our ancestors through the desert and, and, and through the day where if we were you know, to burn up by heat God provided a cloud to shade us, to keep us cool and at nighttime, when it got freezing, God provided a pillar of fire to lead us. You've got to remember how he fed us and sustained us where we didn't even have to ask for food, but God just provided it. You've got to remember that when our ancestors, Joshua, crossed over the Jordan River to take over the promised land, they walked through on dry ground and they went to the city of Jericho and they destroyed Jericho and they destroyed city after city after city. Saul, you've got to remember that and you've got to tell the people. You've got to remember how they conquered all of these cities. Saul, you have got to remind the people of defeating armies where we were completely and dramatically outnumbered. Saul, you've got to remember this. But it's so easy to forget. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. He says this, but when you saw, and he's talking about to the assembly, he says, but when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, were moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king, now here is your king you have chosen, the one you've asked for. See, the Lord has given you a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if you both and if both you and the king who reigns reigns over you follow the lord your god good but if you do not obey the lord and if you rebel against his commands his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors it's as if samuel it's as if god through samuel was saying guys we've got a second chance Guys, the impending doom is knocking on our door, but here's a second chance. If we want to work, if we want to not get caught up in this impending doom, there is the second chance. And we need to be reminded to obey, obey, obey. Remember, remember how God has saved us in the past, time after time after time. Guys, what about us here today? God's coming to us, or work, as we sit in here today, maybe some of you in here this morning can say, you know what? I remember crying out to God to save my marriage, and, 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 and it looked impossible, but as we engaged in it, my husband and I, we sat down, and we went through it, and we did those things, and God miraculously saved my marriage. Or save the relationship that we prayed about and I pray, and I didn't know what to do. And, God, and it looked so impossible, but God led me there and I just trusted and I believed and God delivered me. Or bringing healing within my life, whether it be spirit, from wounds, whether it be spiritual or emotional wounds, or whatever healing or whatever it was, where I prayed to God and God showed up and He delivered me. Or when God led us through a financial crunch, or when God gave me purpose and meaning, where my life really started to take a turn and provided sustenance in my life, when I really started to, when I started to realize that I was designed for a specific purpose, and God showed that to me, and God answered my prayer. Or when I came up in a situation where it looked absolutely impossible, but as I looked at that, I realized that if, if God doesn't show up, I'm literally going to be destroyed. Guys, some of you are sitting in here this morning and you have that story. Don't forget. Don't forget. You need to share that story. Remember, remember, remember. The question becomes, are we going to choose power over purpose? Are we going to choose um, circumstance over salvation? Or the last point, The third bad choice that they made was options over obedience. And simply put, this is that one where we look at something and it looks impossible and we say this. I don't know if I can take that step. What are my options? And we start looking around, we start, we start soliciting other people, we start soliciting other things instead of God, and we say, hey, you know, I got this, you know, and we start looking for other options, because frankly, that option that God's asking us to do, that obedience step is difficult. We don't have all the answers. It doesn't look too good. In fact, it looks extremely difficult, because we're going to have to, we're going to, have to do some things that we really don't want to do. So we start soliciting and we start looking for other options. We do the pros and cons. We do all these other things instead of just simply obeying. That's exactly what Israel did. What's, what's our options? We, we want a king. This other business, I don't know about that. What, what's, what's the other option? This obedience thing, yeah, I don't know, man. There's got to be some other options out there. So they choose an option that later on as you read the life of Saul, that was not good. Not good at all. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey this morning. I don't know if you've, you know, uh, I don't know where God's you know you may be sitting here this morning and God's God is leaning and pressing hard on your heart this morning, and he's saying, I want to I want you to encounter me. I want you to encounter me and it's time to stop. It's time to obey. It's time for you to take that next step with me. I want you to come with me. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've taken that next step where you've went through this and you said, you know what, I've had a, there was a time in my life where I went down that path and that's the last place I want to return. And I'm telling you this morning, I know exactly what you're talking about and I am just celebrating. I, have, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. But I do know this, for every single person sitting in here this morning, I know, whether you're on a mountaintop or in a valley, I know that God wants to take you deeper and deeper and deeper. We haven't arrived. God wants to take us deeper and deeper and deeper. The question is, will we take those steps and become like him, or are we going to kind of try to play this game and end up like the nation of Israel, who once was at the, I mean, they were at the top. And now they're struggling trying to figure out what to do. I don't want to be in that situation. I know you don't want to be in that situation either. I ask that during these last couple songs that you just respond the way God wants you to respond. Maybe you want to come forward and pray. There is nothing magical about coming forward and praying. But the one cool thing about it is we would like to pray with you. I know there's some elders here, myself, Pastor Ron. If you would come forward, we would love to come and pray with you. We're in this together. We're sojourners with you. But however God asks you to respond, would you just be humble and and, and contrite and surrender yourself to the leading of His Spirit? I'm going to close my, my time here with a word of prayer. And then we're going to, again, engage in these songs. And I pray that you would just, again, use those as a time of worship. Let's bow our heads and just have a moment of prayer. Father, I thank You again for this day and for the words that You have for us. I thank You so much for allowing me to live in this time of history uh, in the sense of having your written word to give me guidance and wisdom and look back and see where some have made great choices and I can, I can uh, be encouraged by that and, and, and try to follow after that and see where others made bad choices and I can work hard at staying away from that. But God, I just pray this morning that you would meet us where we are. I know that you you are. I know that you're doing that right now. I pray that your spirit would find freedom in this room today. I pray that people would just drop their guard. They would become humble and contrite before you. Become vulnerable. Allowing your spirit to come and to correct or convict or even bring comfort or encouragement, or celebration, whatever it may be, God. I pray that your spirit would just find its freedom within this room. I pray that you would not let the Satan have any power in here this morning. I pray that chains would be loosened right now as we pray. That shackles would be undone. God, that people might find freedom that's been in bondage for years. God, I pray for spirits of confusion to be out of here. I pray for spirits of distraction to be stripped away. God, I pray that this would be a very holy moment where we just experience your presence in in a very powerful and intimate way. God, you are our King, our Savior, our Lord. We just celebrate you here this morning. Continue to do your work, I pray. And I ask this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.